I have in front of me a Rubik's Cube. You've probably all seen a Rubik's Cube. Somewhere down the line you've seen a Rubik's Cube. Maybe you're amazed that there are people that can actually solve this Rubik's Cube. There's a lot of people can do it. The easiest way to do it is to watch a YouTube guy teach you how to do it. That's how I learned how to do it. I didn't try to figure it out on my own. Why didn't I try to figure it out on my own? Well, there are, let me put this up here, there are 43 quintillion, 252 quadrillion, 3 trillion, 274 billion, 489 million, 856,000 possibilities in the Rubik's Cube. You can turn this thing in so many different ways. And that's just a three by three. There's a four by four and a five by five and a six by six and all of those kinds of things that are out there as well. You have a better chance of winning the lottery two weeks in a row than to accidentally just pick up a Rubik's Cube and solve it. If you could take the Rubik's Cube and you would say, I'm going to put every one of those possibilities. I'm going to do it and I could do one every second. I mean, I could just flip this thing around and do it every second. It would take you over 1.3 trillion years to put in all of those possibilities. And that still may not be a big enough number for you to understand. You see, 1.3 trillion years would realize it this way. The Voyager 1, which is out in space right now, is going about 38,000 and some change uh, you know, miles per hour. If it were going to the um, Alpha Centauri, which is the, uh, the closest star to our solar system, if it, if it was going there, it would take 73,000 years to go there. 73,000 years, 73,000, and make that uh, round trip, that's 146,000 years. Now think about that. 146,000 years, and yet, you realize that Voyager 1 could go to Alpha Centauri and back round trip over 41 million times before you finished getting all of these possibilities in the Rubik's Cube. So can I tell you, there's a lot of possibilities here. That you're not going to pick this thing up and simply, I know you probably tried. You said, this can't be that hard. And without knowing how to do it, just say, I will randomly get this thing right. It is not going to happen. But do you know what the world's record is for solving the Rubik's Cube? 3.13 seconds. 3.13 seconds. I watched it on YouTube, watched it, you know, it's not live, obviously, it's on YouTube. They let the person pick it up, they look at it for a few seconds, I don't know how long they give them, they set it back down, they put their hands down like this, they then reach over through the cube and drop it. And that's how they do it, 3.13 seconds. You know, what you really have to realize is there is no way they're thinking about that while they're doing it. You understand what I'm saying to you? You don't have the time to say, if I turn this one here and I turn that one there, it's going to make that one go. That You do not have the time. It's already over by that time. You realize what I'm saying? You do it because you do it. And you've done it because you've done it so many times. It's sort of like when you go get in your car, 
You're going to go get in your car and you're not going to say, okay, I need to take my keys out and I need to put them in the ignition. I'm going to turn the ignition until it starts. All right, if you've got one of those other cars, I'm going to push the button. I've got to put my foot on the brake. I'm going to push the button and the car is going to start. Then I'm going to take and I'm going to look behind me to make sure that there's nobody there and then I'm going to put it in reverse and I'm going to pull. You don't think like that, do you? You don't think about any of those things and the reason is you've done it so many times. Now, here's my, my proposition, I guess. What if you could pray in the Spirit like that? What if it was more natural for you to pray in the Spirit than it was for you to pray in any other way? Instead of thinking, you know, I'm going to pray so that, um, you know, I'm going to make sure that I get everything that I want. That what happened is you were praying in a very, very, very different way. Well, let me read this scripture to you and I'm going to get into it a little more than even this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. Now, when you have a scripture like this, what we do so often is we take it by itself. We take it by ourselves and we don't look at the scriptures around it and we don't even know what the context is. And we, then we preach messages on it. I've done the same. I've done this. So don't, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody else. I've done the very thing. Let's look in the context of what this scripture says. And it won't be on the screen. I'll just read it to you. I'll go back all the way to verse 10. Probably don't need to go back that far, but I will. Chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the e- uh, on the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God with every prayer and request pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view be alert with all perseverance And every request for all the saints. You realize that the context of this is about facing the devil, facing the evil. And that when you're in this business of praying, you are actually in that business in the spirit of of addressing those issues of those those forces and those, those spiritual places. And you have to realize that when you're praying in the Spirit, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. And when often you find that that's put in a separate uh, paragraph there, it's not, shouldn't be a separate paragraph. It should be exactly where, right in line with all of the stuff that is there. For we will not defeat those rulers, powers, forces of darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places without God. Now, without God acting, we're not going to do it. 
Do you recognize? We think, well, I'm going to take my, my spiritual armor. I'm going to put on this helmet. I'm going to put on this breastplate. I'm going to put on my belt. I'm going to put all the things that it says to put on. Put these shoes on. I'm going to do all of this. And then I am going to go out there and I'm going to face the devil and all the demons. And if we do that, and we think that we're not going to be doing it with the power of God, we are going to be defeated by all of our Goliaths. Every Goliath we come up against, we're going, to, we're going to get defeated one more time. And it's going to happen because we think we're doing it all on our own. For we, spy, we fight these, these spiritual battles in spiritual places and we must take, a, take this battle into the spiritual by prayer. Now I want to say this and I want to get this out of the way. The one praying in the Spirit does not need to speak in tongues. It can be a person speaking in tongues, but it does not have to be a person speaking in tongues. It's a common misconception. For people think that you've got to be speaking in tongues if you're praying in the Spirit. But what does the Bible say about speaking in tongues? And praying in tongues, I should say. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Who are you speaking to there? You're speaking to God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to start praying to the the, the demons and all of that kind of stuff. But what we've heard here from the scripture in 1 Corinthians, by the way, is that speaking in tongues is a gift of the spirit. But it is not necessarily necessary in order to pray in the spirit by this. You see, speaking in tongues is not a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You realize what's, what's, what the Scripture says. Do you see speaking in tongues anywhere in there? No. It is not there. The, the fruit of the Spirit has this nine characteristics, but none of them are speaking in tongues. So we don't need to get mixed up the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Folks, I have never spoken in tongues. I, I'm, I'd be willing to speak in tongues. If God wanted me to speak in tongues, I certainly would speak in tongues. And he would, he would have to give me the gift in order to be able to do that. But I am already commanded to pray in the Spirit. So God is not going to say to you and to me, I want you to do this, but I'm not going to give you the ability to do it. You hear what I'm saying? It just doesn't make any sense to you. I mean, God says, I want you to do this, but I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the, the ability to do this. I'm just going to say, you know, you got to do it and, and I'm not going to give you the ability. I mean, see what it has done for us and it's happened so often in this, it's made us into second class Christians. You don't speak in tongues, you must be a second class Christian. And there is no place in scripture that God makes a group second class. No place in scripture that you'll find that. You're going to find that that's not what happens. So what is happening, God has he's said, I want you to pray in the Spirit. I may or may not give you the gift of speaking in tongues, but you must pray in the Spirit. Now, that to me, and I was never in the Navy, but I'm just going to use my little IBM, my itty-bitty mind to imagine for a second. 
If I tell you to do something and don't give you the ability to get there to do it, and you have an impossibility of doing it, that is a nutty thing for me to do, tell you to do something you can't possibly do. That to me would be like, you tell a sailor his new duty station is Nebraska, but he can't leave the ship that he's, got in, he's on in Norfolk. He can't possibly get there. In fact, I don't even know how you can get a ship from there to Nebraska. There may be a way, but I don't even know how to get it there. But quite frankly, that's what it's like to me. God does not, I mean, just does not do that sort of thing. So the one praying in the Spirit does not need to speak in tongues. But praying in the Spirit requires that you pray in a special place. He says, it says there in this verse, it says, with every prayer and request... Now those two words there, prayer and request, they're actually, they both mean prayer. A lot of people consider them complete synonyms. But wouldn't that be crazy for me to say, with every prayer and prayer? You understand? They're two different words, but if I said, with every prayer and prayer, you'd go, well, you know, you just said that. You're repeating yourself. And so there is a nuance of that first word that tells it's a little bit different. Now, the first word translated prayer, according to Kittle, not the guy that's playing in the Super Bowl today, but uh, this, uh, according to Kittle, which I consider the Cadillac of Greek word studies, it says, he says that it can mean a place. It, okay, think about this. With every prayer place and request, it makes a little bit different there. I would, might even say it's a condition. But so, where are we supposed to pray? Where is this place that he talks about? Well, Matthew 6, 6 tells us that. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, a lot of you know that the translation for inner room was closet at, at one time. Closet is an inner room. You understand that? It is an inner room in your house. And so they would say, closet, I had a roommate in college. He literally would go into the closet and pray. I mean, he was really, he'd go into the closet and he'd lay on, it was a walk-in closet in our apartment. And, and he'd go in there and he would pray. I don't think that it means you have to go literally into your closet. And I don't think it means that you can't pray, pray publicly because Jesus prayed publicly. You know that. So that's the case. So it must mean something else. It must mean that we are going to a place where we shut everything else out. And we realize we're right there in that inner place with God. One time when Bill Moyers was a special assistant to President Lyndon B. Johnson, he was asked to say grace before a meal in the family quarters of that White House. As Moyers began praying softly, the president interrupted him with, Speak up, Bill! Speak up! The former Baptist minister from East Texas stopped in mid-sentence and without looking up replied steadily, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? See, the person that is praying in their heart, praying in their inner room, is not, being, is not praying to be heard by people. Is not concerned with what they hear from him or her. Not concerned about the words. Now, other people may join them in prayer, but they're not concerned about the length. And they're not concerned about saying Jesus with three syllables. You understand? See, prayer in the inner room seeks the Lord's will, realizes the Lord's presence, and humbly pleases the Lord. You think about this. It humbly pleases the Lord. Going into that inner room is not showboating. 
It's not so you can be heard by other people. It's not about making political speeches. It's not about getting notoriety. It's not about being funny. It's not about anything but praying in your inner room. It's you and God that is in that room. And the other people that may hear it, they just may hear it. They may be affected by it. But the truth is, it is you and he in that room. Jesus went off when he went to pray in the Garden of Eden. What did he, I mean, Garden of uh, Gethsemane. What did he do? He separated himself from the others. Now, they overheard him. They heard him pray because they wrote it down. So we know that they knew what he prayed. But he wasn't trying to impress them. He must not have been trying to impress them because they fell asleep anyway. You understand? He wasn't trying to make that something that they would say, Oh boy, this is something. George Mueller was a man of prayer, lived 1805 to 1898. He started orphanages in England. And he started out and, and he did it all the way through his life. He never told anyone about what the orphanages needed. He never said, I got a prayer request today. We need food for the orphanages. I need, and he had hundreds of children to understand this. He never told anyone about it. In the process, millions upon millions of dollars were raised. And there were times there were some amazing things that happened. Things that where he had no food to feed the children at one point. And, and he went ahead and said the blessing with no food to set before them. And a guy knocks on the door and says, my, my cart or whatever you want to he was, had it, uh, it's broken down. I have no way to get this food to where it needs to go. Can you guys use it? And he fed the children that way. Millions of dollars were done that way. And you know what he said? He said, I'm afraid if I start sharing the prayer request, if I start sharing what our needs are, I'll start looking toward people and not toward God. And I want to look toward God to fill the needs. He was going in his inner room. Now, I've said this before, folks. It takes me a while to get in my inner room. Even if I'm by myself, isn't that crazy? It takes me a while to get in my inner room. I start off with trying to impress God, and God is not impressed. He's never been impressed with me, by the way. And I I get into it, and finally I get to that spot where I finally have given up on everything I know to say, and I said, I'm just here, Lord. Let me talk with you. Let me speak with you. Let me be with you. Listen, I, I say, may I see your face, and I go through that sort of thing. And and I've thought for a long time, you know, oh, what a ministry God would have given me if I just hadn't gotten in the way. In reality, that's the truth. And so you go into the inner room. You've got a place to go to if you're going to pray in the Spirit. And secondly, praying in the Spirit is praying with the Spirit's help. Now, that speaks volumes about those people that say that prayer is only, you know, talking to God. But what prayer is, prayer is a conversation. You go into this room with God and God is there and you speak with God and God speaks with you. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says, Now in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what? We, we take that verse right there sometimes and we jump right out of that. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, we pull it out of the scripture and we don't look at what's around it. <laughs> you realize he said now in the same way. That means we got to know what the same way was. 
We've got to look at what was before that verse. And what we find there is Paul is talking about the groanings that he has for his salvation. Understand, you may be saved, but you will be saved someday. And you will know what salvation is when you are in the presence of the Lord, when you're in heaven. You'll know what it is. I mean, it's like this for me. When I was paying off my house... I kept looking at how much I owed. And you know what? I, I would say to people, if somebody said, do you own your house? I would have said yes. But did I own my house? Mostly. Because the bank owned a lot of it, my house. And there came a day that I was able to say, this is my house. The bank owns no part of it anymore. There's going to be a day when you're going to say, I'm not just saved. I am wholly saved because this salvation we have right now is a down payment and what is happening with Paul is he's longing for that salvation he's longing for it now we have it in context of what the spirit is doing here you see what is happening here is is that the spirit is longing for that fellowship with the father you understand this is this is this is God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. He was longing for that fellowship with the Father. He's groaning for that fellowship with the Father. And the problem that happens with us in many of our times that we just pray on our own, what do we do? We pray to get out of the fix that we're in. Many of the times what we are praying for, we're praying for prosperity. We want us to have, I want to be prosperous, I want us to do well, I want to be successful, and all of the things we pray. And here's the thing. Prosperity is dangerous. It is absolutely dangerous. Oratory said in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I frankly confess I'm afraid of luxury, not as afraid of it as I am of sin, but it comes next as an object of dread. It is very subtle, but a very potent enemy of power. There are devils today that go not out but by prayer and fasting. And what happens to so many times with us is when we get into a very comfortable place, we leave God behind. But when we go through a very difficult time, you know what happens? We cling to the Lord. We cling to the Lord. And we have a testimony then. For a testimony is the byproduct of walking closely with the Lord. You see, when we are always saying, you know what, I want to get out of this difficulty that I'm in. And the Spirit is there praying for us. Sometimes the Spirit is saying, no, we need to stay in this difficulty. Because we're going to, you're going to draw closer. What's the Spirit longing? Fellowship. Fellowship with the Father. And so the Spirit is longing for it. And what happens is we're saying, no, 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 we're supposed to get out of this. We're supposed to get out of this. And the Spirit says, no, we need to stay in it a little longer. Stay in it just a little longer. We're going to walk with the Lord. I had a lady tell me one time she had a terrible, I mean, she had a cancer type thing. and It was removed and the, the, the surgery was painful. The recovery was painful. I mean, I remember she couldn't talk for a while and all the things that happened to her. And I remember what she said to me. She said, I don't ever want to go through that again. But I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It drew her so close to the Lord that she would never have done before. You know, when uh, I had my back surgery uh, a year and a half ago or so in uh, July of uh, 2022, uh, I heard from so many people and they told me that it's not going to do any good. 
you're going to just continue to have back surgery. It's not going to be you know, something you're just going to have to live with in your life. Or not back surgery, but back pain. And I said, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. So I began with some exercises. Some exercises. I used some weights and stuff, and I, I used them to build my core. I'll tell you what I'm building. And I want to tell you something. I do them every night. Every night. The only time I don't do them is when I'm out of town. And that bothers me, I'll be honest with you. But I do them every night. And you know what my muscles say before I'm finished? Why don't you sit down and quit? You're going through pain right now. And if you weren't lifting these weights, if you weren't doing these things with your muscles right now, you wouldn't be in the pain that you're in right now. But I know... That if I stop doing that, that back pain is going to come back because I've talked to too many people who said that their back pain is still there and my back pain isn't there at all. And if I can be smart enough to know that I've got to go through some pain in order so that I won't experience some greater pain, don't you think the Holy Spirit knows that? That if you go through a little bit of pain right now, you'll draw yourself so much closer to the Lord and you'll be so much better off than you were before. And so the Spirit corrects our praying. He knows what we need. For the Spirit agrees with the Father always and desires what we need with groanings too deep for words. Too deep for words. Then praying in the Spirit requires commitment. It requires commitment. You know, each time I've read First Thessalonians five sixteen through nineteen, I've I've always taken each verse out and separated it out. And, and this time, because I was dealing with the thing with the the Romans uh, uh, eight twenty six, you know, and it was saying, I said, what if these are all one package? Just like the, the, you know, the, the Ephesians thing. What is it's one package? What if the Romans thing is one package? What if the what if this is one package here? And it's dealing about one thing. And so I looked at it this way this time. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, I always jumped over there and said, I pulled out, do not quench the Spirit, and left the rest of it away, as if it doesn't happen in prayer. You see... This passage is all about prayer. Does rejoice? Is rejoicing a part of prayer? It should be. I mean, I think that a lot of people think prayer is, is bending down like this, scratching your nose for five minutes, and, and, and raising your head and look like you just ate a lemon. They think that's the way it is, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be some rejoicing in our prayers, and not just a lamenting and, a, and, and having such a lugubrious attitude toward it. But what we do is, is that we need to say hallelujah sometimes in our prayers. It should be some rejoicing that goes on. Is praying without ceasing part of prayer? Yeah, it has to be. Is thanksgiving a part of prayer? Yes, it has to be. And this is the Spirit a part of prayer? And the answer is yes. It has to be. So according to what we read, the Spirit is making our prayers right. So the Spirit speaks while we're praying in the Spirit. The Spirit is making that intercession on our behalf. The Spirit is telling us what we must do and that this is what it's going to take for us to get in a closer walk with the Lord. Therefore, do not quench the Spirit because the Spirit is speaking in this. And if we want to continue to pray in the Spirit, we must immediately agree to do whatever the Spirit prompts us to do. And I know what happens to so many of us. 
We say, well, I didn't do what the Spirit told me to do. And when I did that, it doesn't seem like it made any difference. I didn't do what the Spirit told me to do. And you know what happened? We stepped stepped away a little bit. And it doesn't seem like much because each time that it happened, we didn't go that far. We just went a little piece. We didn't go really, really all that distance. Every time the Spirit speaks, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And we just said, nothing changed. I didn't move that much. I'm really not going to. It's going to be okay because... And then suddenly we go, I'm in a fix, God. Where are you? Where are you, God? I've got a cartoon. And it's got these two older people and they're riding in a car. And, the, you know, the lady's sitting there, an you know, older lady, and she says to her husband, she says, over, said, do you remember when we rode in the car and we sat next to each other? He looked at her and he said, I didn't move. You realize that. When you say, where are you, God? God's going to tell you, I didn't move. I didn't move. You did. So if, so if you want to pray in the Spirit, you will need to agree to obey promptly. And will this change your praying? Oh, yeah, it'll make it, it'll make it exciting. I want you to know, it'll make it exciting. Why is that? Well, here's the deal, folks. There's no, there's that uh, instruction about putting on the armor of God. You're not supposed to go put the armor of God on so that you can, you know, hide from the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not going to, you're not going to hide from the devil. That's not what it's all about. What are you putting the armor of God on for? You're going to battle. And you're not just going to battle so you can say, I fought. What are you going to battle for? To win. I promise you today, the most excited team that's in the Super Bowl is going to be the one that wins. I promise you that. And I can tell you without any doubt, when you have victory over the devil, it's going to be exciting. I promise you in that. Pray with me, please.